Here by the Owl podcast is a podcast for owlets and wise owls alike. Join hosts Nikki Fiddle-Eye-Doll and Brianna Briegel along with rotating owls from across the country as they discuss what it takes to advise from time to time. Our podcast is fueled by the true knowledge from empowering agricultural education instructors and ripen with the wisdom you will never learn in a textbook. Here by the Owl Podcast is now creating exclusive content over on Patreon. All you have to do is download the Patreon app, search Here by the Owl Podcast, and subscribe. Each month, you're going to get exclusive content just for being a patron. Also, the really cool thing is all of our patrons receive a free gift in the mail. Can't wait for you to join us. Welcome back to another episode of Here by the Owl podcast. Today, I am so excited to have Laura Crosby here with us to talk about something that everyone asks about, and that is middle school classroom management and how to keep those kids engaged while also maintaining your sanity. So, Laura, why don't you start out by introducing yourself and letting the listeners know a little bit more about you? Yeah. Um, first, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I feel like middle school is a very scary um, area of teaching. And so I'm excited to hopefully um, give some light to that part of being an ag teacher. Um, but as you said, I am Laura Crosby and I am a middle school ag teacher at Danville um, in Indiana. And our program, so this is my sixth year teaching um, and I have been at the same job um, teaching middle school the whole time. And ours, I'll go to my classroom first and then our program. So how my classroom works is we have a block schedule. Um, and so I see students every other day for a semester. And so with that being said, by the end of the year, um, between fifth grade through eighth grade, I will have approximately 500 of the students out of the 800 in the building, which is very overwhelming. Um, but you really get to know the students. Um, and so that's kind of the, the program. There's about a school, there's 200 kids per grade. And then my class sizes range from 25 to 34 students. So it is a lot of preteens in the classroom. Um, and then our FFA program, we are not an affiliate program. And so um, we have right around 108 members um, between middle school and high school. And so I was excited though this year, we have 49 FFA members in seventh and eighth grade um, FFA, which is exciting because it is growing for us. I've been working hard on building the middle school portion of the program. Um, and so just kind of engaging those students who are taking ag class to um, also do FFA when they are old enough. That's awesome. Um, well, and also like your class sizes to me are huge. Like I have like, I mean, average class has like 20. So having up to 34 is nuts to me. And also the fact that you have fifth graders. Um, <laughs> I taught seventh and eighth grade for a few years, um, and this year I don't have middle school, but seventh and eighth grade, like, alone was, like, enough. So I can only imagine, like, the amount of energy that your fifth and um, sixth graders bring into the classroom. Um, but that being said, um, why don't we start out by just having you kind of explain what your um, classroom management style is kind of like and, and how you really organize all of those kids in the classroom? Yeah, um, I think it's, it's a really hard question to answer, but it is a good question. I think that 
I have learned, especially between eighth grade, my management style is very different. Um, and I think that that's true even for high school teachers. Like you're going to teach freshmen way different than you teach seniors. And that's okay. And I think that that's a lot of your management is like you can set up your expectations, but also being flexible to like, what is the culture in your classroom? And if you have that can handle being a more laid back teacher, then that's okay. Lean into that. If you have students who need a lot of structure, then lean into that. Um, but I would say for me, um, I, I tend to lean on the structured side. And I have times um, when I talk about that to other teachers, it can sound like I'm a really mean teacher or really strict, um, but I have to do that. And, and I'm not mean about it. That sounds, but I, I know Kendra Callahan, like always saw that systems create freedom and I have to implement those in my classroom. And so um, I have very, very explicit instructions on how to enter the room. Um, when we we come in, before they come in, they have to line up outside of my door. So it's not just during passing period, they can walk into my room um, and they have to line up and then they, they have to get to a level zero before we can enter the room. And the reason for that, like while that may seem really crazy or strict, I have to remind myself, I have 28, 12 year olds that I have to get from being crazy in the, in the hallway during passing period to it's time to learn. And so um, that's like a big thing of like, here's my expectations and I found what I, what works for me. Um, and then just being really explicit about that of, you know what, if you didn't come in at a level zero, there's one kid by golly, we're going to practice. And so I always try to keep it positive though. If they don't follow the expectations of like, it's okay. You guys forgot, you forgot that we have to enter to level zero. So we're just going to practice even though we're nine weeks in. And um, so a lot of that, and then like in the classroom, again, having that structure. And so I found when I first started teaching, I wanted to do like, I wanted to be chill and relax and like kids can like shout out their answers and like having that conversation um, and being more relaxed. But I have, I found that there were some days, depending on my mood, that I was like, I wanted that. And there were some days I'm like, no, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand. But then in that, I noticed in myself that I was failing my students um, because they didn't, they can't read my mind. They don't know what I want. And so I decided this year and I told them from the beginning, I said, okay, to keep Miss Crosby sane and to make the classroom work. If you ever want to talk, you raise your hand. And again, while that seems strict or that seems harsh, that has created a lot of freedom in my classroom because students know that there's not gonna be somebody shouting over them. There's not gonna be somebody that's talking while they're talking um, and we take turns and we can have those conversations, but then I get to control how that conversation goes. Um, and so a lot of, just finding what works. And it's taken me six years to make sure that I have all my kids raise their hands. And so um, that's kind of a lot, but just it all boils down to know what you want, but also be very explicit. Um, don't just assume that they know because they don't. Um, and it's okay, like be open, like guys, like this is, this is the expectation. I want you to come in at level zero, but this is why. And so when you explain that, they understand that. And then they're, they're gonna follow through um, with your procedures and whatever expectations you have. Yeah, well, and I think too, like, 
at least for me, like it's okay to try things out and then be like, I don't like that. And maybe switch at the semester time or the quarter time or whatever that looks like for you. Um, especially as a new teacher or like maybe teaching a, a class for the first time um, and really figuring out like what you like and what you don't like um, and, and modifying that. And I think for most students, as long as you're consistent with whatever you're doing, like they'll, they'll understand and they'll fall in line and um, they'll know because my students know that like how they act in my classroom is one way and then like they know what the expectation is for math class so some of the things that they might do in my class would never be allowed in math class and vice versa um so they'll get used to it yeah no i think that that's important and like also give yourself grace like you said like tomorrow i'm starting the second nine weeks and I'm going to reset those expectations because, you know, you get tired, you get close to fall break, you get close to, you know, convention or whatever. And you're like, you, you relax your expectations, not on purpose, but it just happens. And so it's okay to restart, like give yourself the grace and give yourself the power to say like, all right, guys, like we're getting pretty crazy. Let's bring it back in and just, I mean, do what works. Um, and again, I think like you said, like what works in my classroom might not always fly in another classroom and vice versa. So that's important to remember, like you are your own teacher and you can do what you want in your classroom. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess, you know, you kind of talked about like how you want your students to come to class and, and all those kinds of things, but how do you really keep them engaged? Because I've, I mean, all students seem to be kept engaged, but middle schoolers especially. So what are some of your favorite techniques during class to keep them like engaged and focused? Um, yeah. There's a couple things that I do. Um, one is I have popsicle sticks with numbers. And so um, every desk in my classroom has a number on it. So the students have assigned seats. Um, and realistically, like the number, it's not like that kid is number seven all semester. Um, it's just like for when they do, um, when I'm drawing popsicle sticks, if they're at desk number seven, I draw popsicle stick number seven. Um, then that's the kid that answers. And so I do that. I'll like grab my little popsicle stick, draw and I shake it. I'm like, all right, we're going to draw some numbers to answer the questions. Um, and the kids, it's funny to watch them because sometimes they're like, oh, I want my number to be picked, Miss Crosby, number 12. And I'm like, it's not that deep, guys. Um, or there's some kids that you can see that really don't want their number to be called. And so sometimes I can, I can control the game. And um, it's, it is pretty random, but sometimes like I can see the numbers and I have the power to like control what question to some students. Um, but then there's not like, there's no way of singling out a student for that. And so it keeps them engaged, keeps them on their toes. Another thing that I have found, excuse me, found that students love is throwing like a, a ball or a stress ball. And, um, that is that is super helpful because the kids I'm like this is the ball if you don't have the ball you can't talk right so kind of like the talking stick um but with the balls I always have my high school kids when we go to national convention find all of the stress balls and give them to me and then um if I do a, a unit on corn for my fifth graders and I have a corn stress ball so I try to like kind of match that to whatever the lesson is um, and then use that to pass to ask questions. And so um, that keeps them engaged. But another like really cool tip with that is um, I don't there's like a 
we do teach like a champion. There's a book that has different strategies for teaching. So if you're interested in that, like I would look that up and find it because that's super helpful with those engagement techniques. Um, but one is basically like no opt out or um, where like, let's say I pass it to you, Brianna, I pass the chicken to you you get the question wrong because a lot of times students, they'll just like say a wrong answer so that it just like goes on to the next person, but I hold them accountable. And so I tell them at the beginning, like if, if you get the question wrong, yes, we're going to pass it to the person until we find the right answer. But every person that got it wrong will pass the ball back to, and they have to say the correct answer. And so that keeps them listening mm -hmm. for the right answer. And that's really important because more than like them getting it wrong, like, okay, big deal. They learn though from those mistakes. And so making sure you hold them accountable for listening, even when it's not their turn. Um, but those are two things that I use that are super helpful. Um, one day, I, I, this year I have students that are so lethargic like it has been really hard as a teacher of like I can tame students down I can calm energy but it's really challenging I have found to like if they don't have the energy to like get them engaged yeah. and that's been it's been really hard and I'm like still trying to figure out like what do I do how can I like spice things up and and I like dance in the classroom and they're like don't care and um one day they came in and I was like we got we got to change something and so I all I did was I had the kids sit on their desk. I said, all right, today we're going to sit on your desk for the lesson. And then that, that gets them sitting up. They can't lean their elbows on their, on their desk and sleep or whatever. And so that's just something simple as long as much as just like sit on your desk. I think I saw, it might've been Kendra again, somebody like literally their chairs are attached and they sat the chairs on the desks so even just changing that position yeah of now can you hand I think you have to be wise you know I wouldn't do that with my fifth graders that I have 35 kids um but that sixth grade class is smaller and so we can we can change things a little bit to match them but even that move moving from their seat to on top of their desk can help wake them up and keep them um at least alert when I'm trying to teach yeah, no, that's a good point. Well, and like you said, you have to decide what works for you because like I have, uh, I teach nine through 12 now this year. Um, and yeah, like what I can do with my seniors is way different than what I can do with my freshmen and just having that expectation. Um, I have some flexible seating options, but my students know that like, they always have to start at the tables to start out with for the day for instruction and then they can move. Um, and they know like if it gets too crazy at you know, the alternative seating, they have to come back to the tables and they, they do a good job of like, okay, now I have to go back. Um, some of my students like to stand. So I let them stand, like, as long as they're in the back, it's not really bothering me, but for some teachers that would drive them nuts. So I um, have to kind of decide once again, like what works best for you and, and what, I don't know, your students can handle too. And I think it's important to give them credit. Like, I think that I think middle schoolers scare us because we feel like they can't do anything. I don't know if that makes sense, but they can. Like if you if you give them that opportunity to be responsible, they're they're usually going to take it as long as you're again clear. Like yeah, if a kid wants to stay in the back of the room, let them stay in the back of the room, but just be explicit. Like hey, that's okay, that's cool. You learn best that way. But like here's how you handle that. And so usually I position those kids that I know need to stand up or move around in the seating chart towards the back or the side so that they can do that without being a disruption. Yeah. Do you have any tips, and this is kind of 
going rogue a little bit. Um, but like if I say, for example, I'm teaching middle school and I have some students who like are just kind of out of control, like what have you used in the past that's been effective for um, like calming students down and kind of bringing them back? That is, that is hard. Um, one, one really good piece of advice that I was given um, by a lady who worked in special education was don't react to students, but instead respond. And that was like, really, that was an epiphany for me of like, oh, because a reaction is instant, right? A kid is going haywire and you're just like, stop it, Jimmy, stop. But like okay take a moment it's okay to like pause for a few seconds and figure out okay why is Jimmy acting out and right every behavior it's because they need something right they want something from you and so usually with those students um I I will pull them aside and talk to them um or usually I like I try to stand by them so a lot of the non-verbals um are important because again, a kid doesn't really want to be called out. Like again, they're not they're not acting out to try to be bad usually, um, and so usually giving them that nonverbal. And so if a student's really crazy, I'll stand next to them, um, or like, and I'll like point to their desk if like if they're supposed to be working on a worksheet or whatever. Um, I like point to the worksheet. You know what I mean? All those nonverbals where it's like, hey, let's get back on task. Let's get back on task. Um, if it's happening in like while I'm teaching, um, usually I try to like redirect them of, hey, like ask them a question about what we're learning to get them back on task. Um, or even just as simple as like, while I'm teaching, I'm saying the lecture, I'm saying the statements, and then I say that kid's name. Like, you know, oh, Susie, you know that photosynthesis happens in the chlorophyll. You know, like integrating their names without calling them out. So it's just, those simple things. Um, and sometimes if it becomes more than that, I'll, I'll pull them, I'll say, hey, like, hey, go wait outside and I'll come. And I've done that before where they're out there for a while and that's intentional um, because I want them, uh, like, again, I'm trying to teach my students and if they're gonna be a distraction, I do remove them for a short time. Um, and I want them to learn too, but in those moments, like I also need time to process of like, okay, I have these 34 kids in my room. How am I gonna, how am I gonna handle that kid when I go in the hallway? And then usually I have that conversation of like, hey, like what's going on? Is there something I can do to help you? And instead of attacking them of like, why were you talking out? Why were you talking out? Just say like, hey, this isn't your normal behavior. This isn't who you are. So like, is there something going on that I can help you with? And approaching it from that, you can usually get a lot more out of them. Um, but again, I think, that typically if a student's going to act out like that it happens in your um your little things that you do every day that like loosen those expectations and following through so usually if you follow through with your procedures the kids know and they're gonna they're gonna rise up to those and so it's just a good reminder as a teacher of like okay a kid's acting out but that's on me like why am I like what am I doing that I need to adjust to keep kids engaged instead of having them act out because they might be bored you know they might say like yeah I'm just bored I don't like I don't want to be here today and so just having those conversations with them yeah for sure 
Um, so you mentioned you like your explicit instructions, and I've sat through sessions that you've presented on with explicit instructions, so I kind of know what that is, but do you want to kind of explain how you set those up for people that maybe haven't seen those before? Yeah, explicit instructions will save your life, um, and they will also make you look really good in front of administrators. And again, this I, I learned explicit instructions from Hannah Wedger, um, but I learned that 90% of the time that I get mad as a teacher is when I have to repeat myself. I'm sure everyone has been there. And I, I mean, I would lose my cool when I, I, you know, we get done teaching and we like give all the instructions for a project or all the instructions for a lab and we go through the 27 steps. And then we say, does anybody have questions? And they like sit there, you have crickets. And then you say, okay, go. A few seconds later, you have five kids lining up. And I'm like, Ah, what is and then I'm like calm for the first five and then that sixth kid that comes to me bless their hearts and I just go ballistic on a kid and so explicit instructions are designed where I use it's a bell or it's a um google slide box and it has what materials do they need specific instructions on what to do so during that time should they be working on the worksheet should they be doing you know whatever the steps are and then this is where I think a lot of times we get frustrated is like they finish and they don't know what to do when they're done. And so there's a section on that slide that says, are you finished? And then there's, again, those steps of what to do when they're done. And then the fourth box is just a timer of how long they need to do that. And so that really saved me because when I have a kid that comes up to me and doesn't know what to do, all I do is point to the board and I don't say, I'm just like, it's on the board. It's on the board, it's on the board. And so that helps, but then again, that gives them that opportunity to take their learning um, into their own hands and they're accountable for that. And so I have that um, shared with you that you can share. Um, you can use that template. Um, and I do the same thing for my bell ringer. So it just kind of has what the bell ringer is, what they need to do when they come in the room um, and then the game plan for the day. And so that gives um, students who really need that structure and need that schedule of like, here's point A and point B, um, they know that and you're clear with that. And so they're not, what are we doing next, Miss Crosby? What are we doing after this? I'm like, well, do you trust me? Or like, it's on the board. And so having those things always posted really helps um, that kids can reference once you exit that teaching stage. How do you make sure that you like keep it up? Because I think the worst thing ever is like, we're going to start this new thing. And then two weeks in, you're tired and you didn't have a chance to do it. So like, how do you make sure that you maintain that? I do it with my lesson planning. And so um, I have integrated, I used to have just one whole PowerPoint that was my exit instructions, but I got smart. It's like a lot of like trial and error. I do something and then I'm like, well, that was, that is not efficient. And so I have a Google slides for eighth grade. And so when I'm doing my lesson plans for the week, um, I do, I do the bell ringer slides for the week. And so they're all done. So when I'm, when I'm lesson planning before I leave on Friday, the lesson plans are done and then the bell ringers are done. And so I, that may feel like a lot, but again, it's helped me because then I go into the weekend not worrying about what I'm going to do on Monday. Um, and so I have the bell ringers. And then if I have an activity on Monday, so we have the bell ringer. And then the next slide is the exit instruction slide. And so that's all been incorporated into my lesson planning. Um, and while it was a little bit more work at first, 
now I just save it, right? It's a Google Slides. I don't have to redo it. And so now all I'm doing is just changing the date. And so um, integrating that stuff into your um, lesson planning helps. And then it doesn't have to be a lot. Like I know pictures on those things, like if you want a kid to um, draw a picture of the cell, um, what can be beneficial is if you have a picture of like a pencil drawing and then you have the instructions. But again, it's easier at first just to type. So just put draw a picture of the cell. And then, you know, the next time you come back to that unit, adjust it. So you fine tune that things or those things to make it better. Um, so I would just say incorporate it with lesson planning that, you know, the day you do animal science, do those, do those bell ringer slides and those exit instruction slides and then save it because right. don't throw it away, you know? So don't, don't just like create the, the Google slide and then delete it. Right. So just have a running Google slides. And I, I mean, my eighth grade is like a hundred and some slides long, but again, it's all there. And I've changed it. So like all of my forestry unit is green and then all of my FFA unit is blue. Like the background on the slide is blue. So that helps me when I'm sorting to find those units. So it's all together, if that makes sense. I like that. Well, and I think too, like I always am looking for a place like I'll do a lesson and I'm like, oh, that didn't really go well, or I needed this instead of, instead of that. So maybe that's where like in the presenter view, you like type in and say like, you know, make sure that you have this for next time or this didn't go well. So that way you always have like a, a place to keep those notes. Yeah. And even like under where it has like, you can add the speaker notes, just like type that there too, of like this didn't work. And I never there's even some units that I don't teach anymore, but I don't want to delete those slides just in case, you know, maybe three years from now, I want to go back to teaching that unit. Like it's, I'd rather have too many slides than not enough and having to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, definitely. Um, so do you have any, like, I don't know, resources or supplies or anything that you feel like you want to share that um, have really helped you in the classroom? Yeah, I think as teachers, it's really easy to um, see other people that have all the really cool bells and whistles. And I am here to encourage you, you don't have to be a bells and whistles teacher to be engaging and be good. Um, I have found a lot of success in using index cards and post-it notes. Um, and anybody can go to Walmart and buy post-it notes, right? Um, one thing that I have, like something that is good to buy is I just got little whiteboards, um, where if I want students to like group together, little whiteboards and dry erase markers to answer questions, right? Maybe at the end of the day, we're doing a review, they grab the whiteboard, they can write their answer and they show the answer. Um, so that's really great. Um, if you have, I don't, if your desks are able, like, I know people have like tables you can't really write on, but we have desks. And I, again, I have dry erase markers and the kids just draw on the desks. So um, something as cheap as dry erase markers, post-it notes, index cards um, are super helpful, right? Just be creative. You don't have to have a million dollars to be a good teacher. Um, sometimes like the one time I, in my, like in the middle of the lesson, I was like, oh, this is great. And I got a dry erase marker and I drew on the floor, right? So using, use your room, right? You want the kids to be engaged, have everybody grab a dry erase marker and they draw whatever, they draw that cell on the floor. They draw the official dress on the floor while they could do it on a worksheet. The kids are used to doing worksheets. Let's move them to the floor and draw it on the floor. Um, when it comes to engagement, um, our school has a, 
like a reward system. So they get money to buy things in our store. So if your school does something like that, um, or you could do that in your classroom. I know some students or some teachers um, have their own point system reward where if you have 20 points, you can have a pencil, I don't know. Or I know a big one that like our sixth grade teachers do is lunch with the teacher. And so um, for teachers, I know ag teachers tend to be the, the cool room to go to during lunch. And a lot of teachers have students that wanna come, but make it a reward system, right? You wanna keep your sanity have a point system or somehow you track that. Um, I know Jessica Collins has a really great reward system that she uses in her classroom um, that kids have to have 500 tickets to come eat lunch with you and then you don't have 700 kids bugging you during your, your lunch period. Um, and I use candy too to answer questions, but I try to use that sparingly because I don't want kids to then expect to get candy every time they answer a question, if that makes sense. I don't want to Pavlov them into like, <laughs> yes, answering, I get a candy because I answered the question. No, like, so I try to like, if that was a really good answer, I give candy or um, like, you can tell that that kid really thought that out. Or maybe you have three volunteers, you know, you give them a piece of candy. Um, and then I've also used candy back to engagement. If you want kids to hurry up and like get onto their Chromebooks fast or get out their supplies really fast, make it a race. And the first one there gets candy. Um, that has helped me a lot because I'm waiting for 10 year olds mm -hmm. to take 20 years to turn their Chromebook on. And so that really speeds up the process. So using those, using candy, I think is good, but don't, don't, don't be Oprah Winfrey and give out candy all the time. Cause then I think it loses its effect. Right. Yeah. With anything. I mean, if you do it too many times, you're gonna, yeah, miss out on it for sure. Um, but I really like how you mentioned, like, you can still have a minimal amount of supplies and, like, still be engaging. Um, because I think oftentimes we see things online and it's like, well, they're fun and engaging because they have all this stuff and I don't. So, you know, how can I be in um, just knowing that you still, still can have that effect even with, you know, chalk outside or writing on your right. walls or your walls or whatever yeah for sure I know like tomorrow we're going outside and we're drawing on the blacktop and so um I mean simple things like give yourself like that creative space maybe when you're driving to think of like how can I make this worksheet more exciting without spending money right make that a challenge for yourself of how do I engage them without having 25 things yeah, no, definitely. So I guess kind of to wrap this up, like if you were going to come up with a few tips on how to not lose your sanity when dealing with middle schoolers or any students for that matter, um, what would you say? I would, I would recommend um, this quote, um, go slow to go fast. Um, I talk a lot about systems and procedures I think if you want to keep your sanity, figure out what procedures work best for you. And if it takes you, if it takes you an entire period to teach your students how to walk into the room the way you want them to, then spend that time doing that because come November or come February when it's squirrel season out there with the kids, you have those procedures in place. So you, yes, you spent 45 minutes one day but that 45 minutes is going to save you 
the other 179 days, right? So go slow to go fast. And you might feel like it's taking you a long time, but that's going to save you in the long run because we've all experienced the the crazy time of the year in this, you know, in the middle of winter and you don't have any breaks from school and then you're all tired of each other. And so those systems will save you um, so much stress and so much anxiety, but like also give yourself the space to like take a second if you need to wait to respond to a student to figure out what to do. Um, don't just like jump in and think you know exactly how to handle the situation right away. Like it's okay to think about it um, so that you can best serve that student because you don't want to damage that relationship um, for them because relationships are important. And if you know the student and you know them well enough, then you're going to be able to get to the bottom of those situations without just reacting, right? I think I forget that my students are humans and I, I don't know if other teachers do as well, but I, I often just like see them as a student and I forget that that's a human with real emotions, that they have a story that, you know, some of them don't have good home lives or they had a bad night last night or all these things that they're coming into that classroom with that if you know the student, then you, you have the ability to give them grace and know like, hey, I know that they had a really bad day. Like I know that they just lost a family member. And so I'm not going to expect them to be super engaged. Like I'm not going to nitpick that stuff because it's not worth it, right? Because they're they're human. They need to have that bad day and just like be there. And maybe you're just there to comfort them, you know, bef between activities or whatever. Right. Well, and I think that's an important reminder too, because I think about myself, like not every day while I'm teaching is like the best day I've ever had. So like if I can have a bad day and maybe be crabby, um, then like my students can also you know experience that and, and have a bad day and I, I don't know I think about myself as a middle schooler um all of the emotions and like trying to regulate and middle school is hard so um remember that because I don't know the girls can pick at each other a lot and you have to remind yourself of that because it's been a long time since you've been in middle school so yeah, and I think just like remembering to find the good in those students because it's there. I know it's hard for some of them, um, but every student has something good to offer. And so as long as you're focusing on that good in them, um, then you're going to have a, a different perspective. And I think just the ability to give grace a lot more often. And there's a balance, right? Like you want to hold them accountable, but it's you're able to have those conversations and hold them accountable while still giving them grace. Or even sometimes you're like, you know what? Like, that sucks like that that was not how we act in middle school um but moving forward like let's do better and like let's own our actions yeah you messed up like, admit that like it's okay to admit that you made a mistake and then having that conversation because in less than 10 years those 12 year olds will will be real life adults in society and and I think this is such an age where we have the opportunity to help mold them of when they're an adult and something goes wrong or they mess up we get to teach them how to respond to those things or react to those situations. And more than the content that I'm teaching them, I want them to be good adults, right? I want them to be productive members of society and good citizens in their community. And so coaching them through those different things is important. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, I love your perspective on it. And um, I just think ultimately like 
they're so fun to work with because they have such energy and they're so excited to be there. And um, a lot of the stuff you're, you're teaching them is the first time they're ever learning that. So um, kind of capture that excitement and, and be excited along with them. Um, thank you so much for being here with us today, Laura. I feel like I got so much from, from talking to you and I hope others did too, um, because it's such an important, um, topic that, like I said, a lot of people are wondering about if anyone has questions for you or maybe wants to see the cool things that you're doing in your classroom, how can they reach out or get in contact with you? I would say, um, email is the best way. And then if you want to have like a phone conversation, just shoot me an email and then we can set that up. Um, but then also follow me on Instagram, uh, at crosby.chronicles life as a middle school ag teacher. Um, and then I put both of those in that takeaway document. So if you look at those and the resources, you can, you can see my email on there. Um, and then also my Instagram handle that you can follow me, um, send me a DM if you want to chat. Um, I am very passionate about passionate about teaching middle schoolers. Um, and so if you have more questions or maybe this sparked something in your in your mind that you're like, I want to know more about that or I want to know how you, you know, implement that into your classroom, um, feel free to reach out. I'm an open door and I'm not going to tell you that teaching middle school is always my most favorite thing to do, but it's definitely, I think, worthwhile in the end. Yeah, for sure. Well, like I said, thanks again for for being here with us. And um, for those listening, make sure you like Here by the Owl podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And if you have a topic idea or want to be a guest like Laura on the podcast, um, reach out to us on social media. We also have a YouTube channel that you can check out as well as our new Patreon. Thanks for listening.